white bees flying around, little green peas from the ground, buttermilk biscuits nice and brown. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table, butter beans, peas, beets, and chard. Chickens running in the yard, catfish frying in that lard. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table. Cast on skillets, good and hot. Watch it steam and crack and pop. Cornbread bacon in that stove. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table. Pick them maters, good and ripe. Drop him black gang candy stripes. Look at him loading down those vines. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table. Bring it to the Tennessee farm table. Welcome to the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast, a show that is dedicated to the people of the state of Tennessee who produce, prepare, and preserve food and agriculture, often with that Mountain South Appalachian flair. And on occasion, I just might have a guest from our neighbors from surrounding states here in the Southeast. This is your hostess and producer, Amy Campbell. The theme song that you just heard was sung and produced by East Tennessee's own Emmy Sunshine. She's from Madisonville, Tennessee. And today we are sitting at the table with a Chattanooga chairmaker. My guest today is Tyler Rogers from Chattanooga, Tennessee. He makes handmade wooden chairs, the old style way with hand tools. His chairs are as beautiful as they are functional. He also shares his maternal grandmother's recipe for squash casserole. Her name was Wileen Lewis. A real neat visit with a fine crafts person. In Fred Sossman's Potluck Radio series, he shares Tennessee ham smoking man Alan Benton's red-eye gravy recipe. Thank you so much for tuning in today by podcast or radio. I really, really appreciate your good company today. Tyler Rogers invited me to come to his house to see his wood shop and chair making setup. This man is not a fast moving or fast talking individual. You won't find him checking his phone every five minutes for the next text or social media something or other. He moves at a slower pace on purpose. After dealing in commercial real estate and checking that phone every five minutes, he has switched his living to fine woodworking and chair making. Tyler is a thoughtful, earnest man, a very talented craftsperson through the medium of woodworking, and he and his wife are outdoors sorts of people, and they love bluegrass music, and are parents to a young son named Huckleberry. Let's go visit Tyler right now. Can you describe the kind of chairs that you make, Tyler? I make a, well, it's a ladder back chair. Um... There's, there's really two types of chairs, ladder backs and Windsors. And so the one I make is a ladder back. Um, some people call it a post and rung. It's got these four posts and 12 rungs, little cross pieces on them, and a woven seat. So the chair's assembled and then the seat's put on once the chairs, the frame of the chair's assembled. Um, and then it's got some 
uh, horizontal slats in the back to rest on. So it's just simple ladder back chair. You, most people have sat in them their whole lives and didn't even know it. I'm sad to say I've seen fewer through the years. Right. And I love your chair. I just sat in it, y'all. <laughs> and it's so comfortable. It's springy seat and the back, it's just curved to hold your back just right. Yeah, it. I play around with that a bit. Um, but I think it's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, I've, I've gotten a good curve on it. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a pretty thing. Yeah. So how'd you get into making chairs? Well, I got into carpentry when my wife and I met. Uh, we were guiding on the Okoe River. And uh, we, we moved around for the first few years. We'd go out west in the winter, out to Montana and Colorado. And once we decided to stay in Chattanooga, um, I needed a job. So I got on with a remodeling company, tearing off old decks and tearing out old drywall. And that's when I started using wood-specific tools, but mostly power tools. Um, as time went on, I, I would change companies. And I got on with a certain company over in Hickson. And we were fortunate enough to have a wood shop. And um, I got to work under a master carpenter. And uh, that's when my woodworking started to take off a bit more. But over that time, I started learning about green woodworking which is taking the wood right from the tree, especially a, a newly fallen tree, and beginning to uh, manipulate it when it's still green as opposed to uh, going to the store and buying kiln-dried wood. And, and with the green woodworking comes uh, the ability to use hand tools because the green wood hadn't cured yet, so it's uh, a little bit easier on the, on the body and the blades to to shave off and to to shape. So um, over time, uh, many books. I I think I saw on PBS Roy Underhill's show. He had Peter Fallon's Beyond, and they've all written so much over the years. And and um, Drew Langster has a book called Country Woodcraft. Um, these guys really brought green woodworking back into the scene in the uh, 70s and 80s. And I, I got the book, Make a Chair from a Tree, not too long ago. And that was written by Jenny Alexander. And uh, they, they just released the, uh, the third edition. So long story short, I got into green woodworking. You, you can buy these tools at a, any antique store and sharpen them up, like the draw knives you're looking at, or any of these spoke shaves over here. So it's, it's a, there's a low overhead to get into it, and uh, it's all done by hand. And so there's a lot of, when you're done at the end of the day and you're sore, uh, a lot of good feelings come with that. <laughs> I, I started dabbling with bowls and spoons a few years ago. I, I, once our son was born, I went into the office for a bit, tried to, tried to put the craft away, but didn't last long. And, you know, my, my loving family would get me a, a weekend at John C. Campbell, and I'd get back into the craft and think, ah, oh, here, here it is again, and my love for 
for woodworking and wood carving. So the pandemic hit and a lot of what I did in an office and my interactions with people went out the window. So I, I was sitting around and I just thought, man, I'd love to make things again. And chairs was on my list. So um, I was fortunate enough to, to get this uh, book called Make a Chair from a Tree. A good intro for anyone who wants to make furniture. Uh, this one in particular, a chair. And yeah, so I, I, told, I told my wife, hey, I'm going to start making chairs. She said, go for it. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. I'm going to have to check that book out. You can get it from the Lost Art Press up in Kentucky. Okay. Uh, a guy named Christopher Schwartz. He, uh, Jenny, the, the person who wrote the book, passed away, I believe, three or four years ago. And along with Peter Follinsby, they were working on getting the third edition out, mm-hmm. which is it's just some updates on it. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, they released it, I believe, this summer. Before then, it was a relic, hard to find. Really? Yeah, and I, I think a lot of us have the same mindset. We, we want this information out there. This is something people need to, to have the ability to do yeah. and it, not, to, not to rant. In my folks' house growing up, they'd always say, oh, your grandfather made this piece of furniture. It's like, really? Jeez, yeah, beautiful, elegant piece of furniture. Oh, your other grandfather made this. Or, I think most of the generation born Depression years, I feel like we're some of the last people to have that skill set in terms of everyone having that skill set, where it'd be making furniture or making growing your own food. You grew up on the farm and we've just slowly crept away from that so I think in the chair making world we're a lot of us are are itching to teach chairs like this for the weekender who wants to make their own dining room set Mm -hmm. and then maybe teach their their kids how to do it and like I've said you know incredibly inexpensive to get into you're not having to go out and buy a $3,000 table saw or a $5,000 skill saw. So, yeah. I always hang my head a bit when I'm talking to an old fella who tells me about their dad who would sit on the porch and carve a figure with their hands or make a broom out of a broom corn or mm-hmm. make a flute. And, and I always say, well, can you do that? And they say, no, they never taught me. And it's just, it's just one of those um, lost arts. Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll be gone, gone with time. And, and, and I, my father always had the Foxfire books. Good. And he's, he's still got them. I, I think I have them actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always thumbed through them when I was a kid. I, I don't think I ever, um, anything ever caught my attention, but, um, mm-hmm. I've always appreciated that and what they did, yeah. and I think that was their intention. Mm-hmm. And um, Foxfire's still going strong it is. up in Clayton, so it's a great thing. It is, it is, and 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 I I just you know with your show, Amy, and with anybody out there with our our same ideas, it's it's just stuff we need to document, write the book, teach the class, keep it. Keep it moving. Amen. Yeah. And your little boy, he's four now. 
I love that he's just learning all these things from you. He's itching uh-huh. to do it. Uh, he likes the idea that I make chairs. And I, I, uh, I'm starting to read on how to navigate teaching a young person mm-hmm. to use sharp tools. So, uh, <laughs> this here's a Sloyd knife. Um, it, it's nothing fancy. It's just a sharp, it's just got a straight blade, which is good for carving. Yeah. So there, when I say Sloyd woodworking, I'm, I'm talking, you know, maybe mainly knives and hook knives and maybe an adze, mm-hmm. which is a, a, an ax used for carving bowls. There are programs out there to teach kids to use these tools and these knives are incredibly sharp so I'm I'd love to get into that one day uh, yeah. teach our youth because that's where you get them hooked young and 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 they don't they don't have to wait till they're 35 like me to get get into chair making or start selling them they can mm-hmm. they can um, you know go down that road a lot sooner yeah yeah You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and our guest today is Tyler Rogers from Chattanooga, Tennessee, a Chattanooga chairmaker. He works this wood all by hand, and it is a fine craft that he practices, the old-timey way with hand tools. It's a special treat to sit in one of his chairs. They're comfortable as they are beautiful. In the second part of this interview, we talk about old tools, wood he works with, and I also asked Tyler to share with us one of he and his family's favorite recipes. He shares his maternal grandmother's recipe for squash casserole. Her name was Wileen Lewis. I saw a couple of Instagram posts that you were using an old tool. Was it your granddad's? It was my my father's granddad. Oh man. Yeah. What and, kind of uh, tool? It's called a fro. It's made to it's got it's got many uses. I think the more traditional one is to make cedar cedar shingles. Okay. Yeah. So you take the cross cut, you just line this tool up, it has a long blade and, and knock it and it breaks off the cedar. But I use it to uh, split and rive my wood. Riving is a controlled split. And I have a riving break over there. So I I line it up and hit it with a mallet and I can pry the wood and watch where the grain is going, you know, hope it's a clean break. And if not, I can adjust it to where I can keep the grain integrity intact. So nevertheless, my great grandfather made that. I think I put on Instagram from a tractor spring and my dad said, tractors don't have springs. It's a truck spring. And he, he was one of the old timers that had a farm, uh, down in Marietta, Georgia. That's where my dad grew up. And he had a couple hundred acres, and, and with that came the blacksmithing skills, the carpentry skills, just all the skills that people carried with him. So if he needed a fro, he ran to get an old scrap metal and heat it up, bend it, sharpen it, that's that. So I, I made that post because the beauty of making chairs all day and, and, and having this quiet head is you get to reflect on things. And when my dad gave it to me, I was acquiring tools and he said, I got something for you. And he went and pulled it out and I wouldn't say it didn't mean much then, but 
you just don't think about it as much until you're using it one day and you think my ancestor made this and I'm sure it's going to last a couple hundred years after me so yeah it's just uh, an ornate object that uh, you can slow down and appreciate and my, my great grandfather made it I've got a few more of his old farm equipment here that you just can't get rid of I think it's called a mule scoop over there. It's for digging ditches and an old plow back there, but uh, I think we would have gotten along fine. I'm sure of it. <laughs> so the wood you use, is it all from around here where you live? or It you... is. Okay. I've, I've, had, um, I've had good fortune the past year. My in-laws have some property up on the Cumberland Plateau oh, up no near. Way just north of Dunlap oh, yeah. and um, we'll go in the woods there and they'll, they'll be freshly fallen trees and I'll, I'll harvest those cool. uh, mostly red oak mm-hmm. I, I like red oak some people hate it but uh, red oak and maple and uh, cherry all great yeah. uh, chair trees but um, and then I've had a couple arborists say hey I'm cutting down a red oak or a hickory mm-hmm. come and get what you want and um it's free to me and they don't have to haul it off so it it's it works quite well and i can preserve it more or less that's wonderful yeah i'm hoping to build those relationships over the years just to where i don't ever have to cut a tree down mm-hmm. you don't want to mm-hmm. want to go out and cut one down for the sake of it yeah yeah we we cut so many down anyways so in terms of a recipe I've got a good one it's squash casserole and um, it came from my grandmother um, on my mom's side and essentially I'll walk you through it that'd be great go ahead and make cornbread because it's a it's a key ingredient so uh, and you know cornbread you can make it days and freeze it um, I use about three pounds of squash and a, a, a wide onion and go ahead and boil that to where it, it just breaks down and then I, I get a, a good large casserole dish and put it all in there and, and mash it up throw some butter in and, and I don't ever measure anything so uh, I don't have any of that for you Throw a couple eggs in, and then crumble the cornbread until you get a good consistency. Quit that. <laughs> and um, I don't think I miss anything. Salt and pepper to taste, and um, I said butter, and and then give a nice uh, top layer of cornbread with with butter on top of that, and let it bake. And and I I have a hard time. Um, saying anything about that's bad for you it's a pretty healthy dish some people put cheese in it I've I've never enjoyed that Um, so yeah squash casserole my grandmother's it's it's quite simple we we make it uh, not as much for us then you got to eat it for about a week you you know you don't want to resent an amazing family dish but we'll make it for Thanksgiving Christmas and, and such 
your grandmother on your mother's side's name for, with the squash casserole? Wileen Lewis. That is a wonderful name. You are listening to the Tennessee Farm Table, and our guest today has been Tyler Rogers of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Tyler is a chairmaker. He works his wood all by hand, and it is a fine craft that he practices, the old-time way with hand tools. It is a special treat to sit in one of his chairs, and they're comfortable as they are beautiful. You can find him easily on Instagram under tr.chairmaker, and I've also placed a link to his Instagram page and pictures of him and his chairs, plus the podcast of this show on my website, TennesseeFarmTable.com. And just a note, Tyler does not advertise on this show. Up next is Fred Sossman's Potluck Radio series. He shares ham smoking Alan Benton from Tennessee's Red Eye Gravy Recipe. It may be the world's simplest gravy. The most elemental version involves two ingredients and no tricky thickening. Water and what's left in a black iron skillet after country ham is fried are all it takes to make red-eye gravy. No salt, no seasoning, no herbs, just leavings and liquid, and maybe a little leftover coffee. Writer and food historian John Edgerton called red-eye gravy a divine elixir. Researching red-eye yields some questionable stories about the name of the dish. Andrew Jackson's alleged observation about the red eyes of a hungover cook are among them. Like a lot of our food history, though, we'll probably never know who named red-eye gravy. Odds are the moniker caught on because of the rich color that results when country ham, cured the right way for many months, meets hot black iron. Unlike many gravy recipes, there's not a speck of flour in red-eye, Cooks don't expect it to be thick, and they know in the bowl on the table it will separate into two-toned layers. Grease and water don't mix. The simplicity of red-eye gravy reflects its origins in poverty. Other than the ham itself, the monetary investment is negligible. And with its highly concentrated flavor, a little red-eye gravy goes a long way. Today's recipe is a bit of a different take on red eye. It was given to me by my friend Alan Benton, owner of Benton's Smoky Mountain Country Hams in Madisonville, Tennessee. You pour a quarter cup of brewed coffee into an iron skillet and sprinkle in one tablespoon of brown sugar. On medium heat, fry two or three slices of country ham for about two or three minutes per side. Remove the ham and add a third cup more coffee to the skillet. Increase the heat to medium-high and stir, loosening the browned particles from the bottom of the skillet. Reduce the liquid to the point where you added the second measurement of coffee. Serve your red-eye gravy over biscuits or grits. For the Tennessee Farm Table, I'm Fred Saussman.
This is Tyler Rogers, the chairmaker from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and you're listening to the Tennessee Farm Table. And now it is time for the gospel portion of our radio broadcast. We like to call this our daily bread. From the project Voice of the Spirit, Gospel Songs of the South released in 2006 off Dual Tone Records, here is Johnny Cash with The Unclouded Day on the Tennessee Farm Table. They tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. They tell me of a home far away. They tell me of a home far beyond the skies. Oh, they tell me of an uncloudy day. Oh, the land. Of the cloudless day Oh, the land Of an uncloudy sky Oh, they tell me of a home Where no storm clouds rise Oh, they tell me Of an unclouded day Tell me of a home where my friends have gone They tell me of a home far away And they tell me of a home where I'll never roam Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day Of a cloudless day, oh, the land of an uncloudy sky. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an uncloudy day. Tell me of an uncloudy day. 
Thank you so much for joining us here today at the Tennessee Farm Table podcast and broadcast. It has been an honor to have your good company. We always love to hear from you on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or through the website, TennesseeFarmTable.com. I'd sure love to hear from you and swap some recipes and stories. Big thanks to Emmy Sunshine of Madisonville, Tennessee, for the musical arrangement and singing and recording of our theme song. For updated appearances, schedule, news, and her new recording, connect with Emmy Sunshine at TheEmmySunshine.com. We hope you have a good week and keep on digging. This has been a Campbell Creative Incorporated production.